Hello, my name is Mary Ann Fazil, and I'm the manager of the Museum of the New Yano Colony. I'm here today to tell you about the Yano Colony as I see it. This week I thought we'd take a look at how the Yano Cooperative Colony was operated in its early years in California. Harriman set up his new colony as a corporation, first in California under the name Mescal Water and Land Company, but there was so much opposition to the community that in late 1914 he renamed it the Yano Del Rio Cooperative Colony and incorporated it under Nevada laws where the politics proved to be a little more agreeable to colony beliefs. Though Harriman and some of the other colonists were actually members of the Socialist Party, it was not a requirement. To join, you did have to purchase a certain amount at $1 per share of stock in the colony and agree to, to live according to colony principles. To ensure equality among all the colonists, no member would be allowed to own more than 2,000 shares of stock. Over the years, the stock requirements were changed from time to time, but during the California years, the requirement was 2,000 shares for the head of each household, with lesser amounts for, each, for a spouse and each child. This price was based on the estimated cost for providing each member with the necessary tools and equipment. Arrangements could also be made where you paid a portion in cash or trade and worked off the remainder at the rate of $1 credit per day. Colonists who still owed on their membership fees were treated as equals inside the colony, except that they could not vote in community elections. Every member also had to agree to abide by the colony principles, which like everything else over the years was adapted from time to time to suit colony needs. But basically, these stated that all tools necessary for production would be the property of the colony itself and stressed the importance of equality and fairness amongst all the colonists. Each adult member also agreed to work at a job within the colony. In return, the family received a home with running water and electricity, food, clothing, medical care, education for themselves and their children, essentially everything they needed for a full and satisfying life, and all of it was to be produced by the colonists themselves. The property in California had, and I quote from Bread and High since the rise and fall of Utopia in Los Angeles, 10,000 acres with nothing but jackrabbits and stinkweeds and could be bought for $1 an acre but with proper irrigation, it would be ideal for fruit orchards and general farming. It was located about 45 miles from Los Angeles as the crow flies, although the trip by car proved to be an all-day affair, if you were lucky. The idea of a cooperative colony proved to be alluring to many people, in great part because times were not good. During those first three years in California, the colony grew to include nearly 1,000 members. Growth was so rapid, in fact, that most had to live in tents while they waited for their homes to be built. After, the, after three years, the colony could boast a print shop, gardens, orchards, livestock of every description, several lumbering industries, 
two lime kilns, a rug works, elk skin boot factory, two hotels, a solarium and bathhouse, blacksmith, machine shop, and more. Harriman firmly believed that a good social life was necessary to lighten the load of the cooperative pioneers. An advertisement from the Western Comrade, July 1914 issue, proclaims, Every member to get the full social value of his efforts. Cooperation is not merely a word, it is action. A multitude of entertainments were held during the evenings in the community hall. There were a variety of readings, talks, and lectures, theatrical productions, musical concerts by colony bands and vocal groups, dances presided over by dance master George Pickett, baseball and football teams, billiard society, and several literary discussion groups. Education stood out as a chief focus for the colony. In addition to the public schools, there, which were supervised by the Los Angeles County, there was a preschool, industrial school, and public library. Optimism remained high until it was time to begin working on the dam which had been planned for the site from the very beginning. This dam was of the utmost importance to the community, hovered as it was on the edge of the Mojave Desert. The first problem to appear was the objection of the colony's neighbors in the valley, who were beginning to fear their way of life was being threatened by the sheer number of colonists moving into the area. When 20 local ranchers fought against the dam project in court, the colony's application for the required permit was denied. The court's ruling stated that in their opinion, the colonists lacked the necessary experience and sums of money that would be needed to complete the project. And the worst was yet to come. When war was declared in April 1917, Yano faced even greater problems. With many men being conscripted to fight, more jobs with higher wages became common outside the colony. Yano residents began to trickle away as more and more left to find jobs on the outside. It was at this critical juncture that Harriman first heard about a tract of cutover pine land containing an abandoned company town called Stables in the highlands of western Louisiana. Soon arrangements were being made to move a large portion of the remaining colonists to the new location, quickly renamed New Yano. Several groups would travel in automobiles, but most, along with all their household goods and industrial equipment, would go by train. Many, choosing not to make the move, returned to the world of capitalism. Approximately 75 colonists led by Bert Engel remained at the California location, but a series of lawsuits soon led to the complete loss of that property, and the last of the colonists left the Antelope Valley site in 1918. The future of the Llano del Rio Cooperative Colony would be in Louisiana. The Museum of the New Yano Colony is open Tuesday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. We'd love to have you stop by and hear more about this unique bit of Louisiana history. Or you can visit our website at www.newyanocolony.com to read a text copy of this podcast and see our list of sources for more information on the topics discussed today. I'm Mary Ann Fazil. 
and this has been the New Yano Colony as I see it.